0: Time to welcome in David Locke right now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit SmartRain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. How are you? I'm great. I, was just, I have a question for you guys. Football. I was just listening to a Locked On podcast, and the guy called, yes, was talking about the SEC and how everyone's gone to this 3-2-6 defense, and it's causing recruiting issues because there just aren't that many athletes that fit it, um, and it's all in reaction, obviously, to Alabama and what Nick Saban's done. Is that true for Utah and BYU as well?
0: Uh, Kyle has said that they are sticking primarily with a 4-2-5, so I guess the answer would be no.
1: Okay, and then my second question was, does BYU have to change schemes because of the personnel of the Big 12, or is it just not that good a conference that I don't worry about?
0: PK, you want to handle that one?
2: Yeah, I think that's to be decided because I think that there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I've talked the coaches that they, they're aware of all the stuff that they have to be prepared for because that's what they're recruiting for right now, today. And obviously, if you go on missions, these kids are going to be playing in the Big Twelve. They won't even experience life as an independent. So there's, I don't want to say unknowns. But there's a lot of stuff out there that they have to be prepared for, and they're doing their best to prepare for it. But yet, a lot of, in some situations, you, you know, you can prepare. It's like Bronco used to say, "I would always think that okay, this is how the game is going to be played, a particular game given that week." And I learned then when I get in the game, the stuff that I thought. Yeah, that's partially true, but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I need to be prepared for that I don't even know what it is, but yet I've still got to prepare for it, and I think that's what BYU is going to face. I think the league is going to be a pretty good football league, particularly when you factor in the new schools. I think we tend to look at the Big 12, oh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, so who do you have? You have Oklahoma State, you have Baylor, and then you have a bunch of maybe on a given year, Texas Tech might be good, Kansas State Might be good. Iowa State might be good. And that might be all true, but I also think this got a factor in the schools that they're bringing in. And right now, two or three of those schools are really good in football. So I actually think it's going to be a difficult adjustment, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that they need to be aware of. And some of the stuff they don't even know right now that they need to be aware of it.
0: I think all that's true, David. And I think the other thing is that the traditional you're a line. You're a defensive lineman, you're a linebacker, you're a safety, you're a corner. That's been blurred for a while, and it's been blurred at Utah and BYU because they were in the same league uh, with New Mexico. And in the case of BYU, they were playing San Diego State. Uh, well, I guess Utah did too this year. And so these schools that have a history of playing the 3-3-5, and Bronco did this when he was at BYU. Uh, they they have you know they have all kinds of different names at different schools the rover back or whatever but basically what you have is someone who has the combo skills of a linebacker and a strong safety you're good against the run but you've got the speed to play in coverage you basically have to find the the Porzingis unicorn type player where you can cover a receiver in the slot the tight ends are morphing into receivers. So do you match up with a tight end? So you have to find these guys with unique skill sets. You can call them whatever position you want, and you can say you've got you know, six defensive backs or four or five. But what you really have is a guy who's fast enough to cover in space but can also play the run and take on a bigger blocker and shed him and make a play. All
1: right, my final question. This guy was really interesting. His other thing was about recruiting. He said, hey, five-star recruits – any of us could go to any high school game anywhere in the country, see a five-star recruit. It'll be abundantly obvious to us. Three and four-star recruits, solid joke. It has to do with whether the coach understands how to use the player in their system. Our team systems that different from one to another. If that's accurate.
0: Oh, yeah, systems could be different. I think the bigger thing in assessing high school kids is how much talent they have around them because with open enrollment, kids transferring, elite private schools in some portions of the country, not so much here but in other places, you see high school teams that are totally loaded and it makes everybody, especially the quarterback, look better than they are when the talent is even. I think that's a big part of the Jake Heaps story. His high school team is loaded.
1: Oh, interesting. All right. All right.
0: Thank you, guys. Now to the Utah Jazz. Next week I get my Rose Bowl preview, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It has not been a uh, glorious stretch because Jazz fans look at an eight-game win streak and think that's great, but as soon as the two losses come, they overshadow the other eight. But you look at how the Suns and the Warriors are winning. <laughs> if you're not playing each other, and with a lot of teams around 500. The only way for the elite teams to really remind their fan base we're great is to put a long string of wins together, isn't it? Until they play each other head-to-head.
1: Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is really great right now. And I'm not surprised by this at all. I, in my preseason predictions, I had Phoenix a considerable notch above everyone else in the West, and I actually think that they are a considerable notch above everyone else in the West right now. They're, really, they're, they're playing great basketball. They're dominating. They're, they're hammering people. They're not relenting. They're, they're really impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you also, like, you know, right, like we use 538 or one of these other metrics. So the Utah Jazz at play, you know, Minnesota on Wednesday on Thursday, and what is our chance of winning? 70, 70%, you think? 75%? Right, wouldn't that probably be the number? It's high. But if your chance to win 70% of the time, you lose a bunch. Then, you know, particularly we're having a tendency to go put ourselves – Into a position in which the the sample size of the game gets smaller and smaller, and then some pretty wild plays have come back to get us here recently, and they'll go the other way eventually. But um, you know, that's that's it. But you just, yeah, I guess you can. It's pretty unusual to go win eight or nine or ten in a row. You have to be pretty dominant, and so we're seeing the Warriors and the Suns and the Jazz do it. But it's a pretty hard task to live that one.
2: Yeah, I've always felt that for sure. Once you get over ten. I've been impressed with every win streak. I think it's re- extremely hard to do. A couple of things that have, we've seen with the Jazz as far as the games is uh, losing big leads. Uh, is that anything they can be concerned about, or is it virtually just life in the NBA, so it's going to happen? Can I go with both
1: on that, PK? Because, I mean, Terrier was here the other night, hits three straight threes, right? If, now that our, yeah. everyone's playing threes, suddenly, the, if you haven't scored on two possessions, that's a 9-0 run, and then there's all sorts of momentum, and... So I think that is part of the NBA. I do think that, we're, that we are a little culpable, though. I think there's a tendency to relax. I have my personal thing that I think I see every night, but this is becoming, if I'm really honest about my own analysis, I think a little bit this is becoming that it's just my hot button, and now I think I see it all the time, right? We, we you know, You can decide whatever it is in life. You know, so-and-so can't drive, and then every time you see a bad driver, you forget about the 73 good ones you saw. And you just say, oh, look, they can't drive. You know, so my thing about us is that we have so many offensive players. It's why we're the best offensive team in the league. So this is a good and a bad, but there just are not enough possessions to go around. And I just feel like at some point when we get ahead, at some point in the game, we get a little bit my turny. And when we get my turny, the ball stops moving. And when we do that, then other guys are frustrated because somebody just played my turn and our defense – and we just lose our edge. So that's, that's my take on where it is. I don't actually have a problem with it. I kind of think it's real and um, understandable. And I don't think it's selfish or anything of that sort. The fact of the matter is that most of the guys on our roster have been valued throughout life by how many points they score per game. And they're used to that. And they still want to do that. And um, You know, nobody wants to run up. Nobody goes to play basketball. Everyone loves hoops. But nobody goes to play basketball to run up and down the floor four times and play defense and not touch the ball. And so when that happens, after a few minutes you go take your shot, whether it's entirely in the flow of the offense or not.
0: I guess the thing I'm always seeing in games is that the Jazz, when they lose the edge, maybe it's because they are my tourney, and and so they lose the edge a little bit. When they start giving up rebounds and they start giving up transition points and they start giving up 30- and 35-point quarters, I'm thinking, that's the only way you guys are going to get beat. You are so good offensively that if you just hold people to 100, 105 points, really anything under 110, you're going to win. It's the same thing that's happened to the Suns. They're undefeated when they hold teams under 110 points. So if you just play defense, you're going to be fine. And if you don't get caught with the second shots and the transition buckets, people aren't going to score on you because of Rudy and everybody else is pressing up on the three-point line. It seems like a pretty simple recipe because they're so good, but it seems like a recipe that they just can't cook up.
1: Yeah, I mean we're not as dominant. Last year we just didn't lose lead. I think we were what 41 and four if we let go in the fourth or something crazy. Um, you know, maybe even 41 and two. Um, and you didn't lose at home and you didn't lose to below 500 teams. That's all because you're an elite defensive team, right? But like, when you're an elite defensive team, you come out and you just beat people like that. We were an elite defensive team against Charlotte the other night. You know that was it was interesting. You know. The numbers are crazy. We had the third best shot quality we've had in any game all year long in Charlotte. Just didn't make it. So this is – that's the turn. That's what you're looking for. That's the little, little – and it's not toughness. I don't like that – I don't really like that phrase because I don't really know what it means. But there is an element where you can be difficult to play. And I thought last year we were really difficult to play and we haven't for a while. I'm not sure this year we're as like, I don't think you feel like you're getting pounded quite the same way by us as you did. You know, maybe it's the onslaught of offense and you're just like, holy crap. Like, I guess those teams that lost by 20 sure didn't feel like that was a lot of fun. Um, so maybe that's not fair. But it, there's a there's a level where I just felt like teams are getting to kind of play their game against us and that works better than them at beating them. Where in some years past I felt like teams were blown out of their game and they couldn't play the way they wanted to and they looked uncomfortable all night and then we blew them out. And there's a little subtle difference to that. I might be totally fabricating that in
2: my head. I agree with you on the Suns, thinking that they right now are the best team in the West, which would probably most likely put them the best team in the NBA. And watching them, I saw them watch the uh, play against the Lakers the entire game, and I definitely think they're better than last year. I'm wondering, what does Phoenix have that the Jazz don't?
1: Maybe Chris Paul right now just unbelievable veteran leadership I don't, I don't think we have that
0: people would assume Mike Conley so what's the difference
1: um that's not Mike's personality at all um to do that I mean that's just not that's just not who he is so that would be the I mean that's just not Mike's not that guy
0: That's where Chris Paul uh, has an edge to him, which makes him unlikable for a lot of fans. But that's a really important part of the equation in Phoenix right now. Sorry, say that again. I didn't hear you. I, I wondered specifically what you were getting at and the difference in the two. I said Chris Paul has an edge to him. And people see it in the game, and I think it's why a lot of people don't like Chris Paul. And maybe sometimes why his teammates don't like Chris Paul. But is that edge that he has a really important part of the equation in Phoenix right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's everything. I think that's what Chris Paul is doing right now, is dominating the culture of that team and their following. You saw when Devin Booker went out that they just stayed in that mode, in that mode, in that mode the whole way. It's, it's really awesome. And I didn't know if it was going to hold this year because of what you're talking about. Every team that's ever had Chris Paul the second year, hate him so much that they don't play hard, this has been the exact opposite. Whatever Monty Williams, whatever they're doing, and Mikael Bridges is better, Aiton's better, and Devin Booker's better this year. They're they're loaded.
0: When PK was selling the the Suns earlier in the show about how good they are, even though they're close with the Warriors record-wise, they're the best team, one thing he went to was the acquisition of, uh, of of McGee, and that really he's in a Hassan Whiteside role where big production in limited minutes, but having that second big to run in there, most teams can't match up with it. It becomes a big advantage. We saw that earlier in Favors' career when he was healthy and he was just feasting on second-string centers. We're seeing some of that with Whiteside, and is Phoenix really benefiting from that as well?
1: You know, Phoenix, here's the one that I'm really surprised by on Phoenix is that, you know, if you look at their numbers last year, Dario Saric was vital to their success. And if you look over the last few years, when Chris Paul has been at his absolute best has been when, um, is when he has um, been able to play with a small, like Danilo Gallinari has been, um, was the, was the uh, number one pick-and-roll combo, and I think Dario Saric was the number one pick-and-roll combo the year, the next year. So those two circumstances, and they don't have that this year. Kaminsky actually was playing really well, but now he's out, Saric is out. So I, I've been surprised that that hasn't hurt them at all.
2: Yeah, I, I think that uh, McGee gives him. A- a certain element that they didn't have from the defensive standpoint i think they're a lot like the jazz in terms of their offense i mean they can really light it up but they needed somebody who's going to do the junkyard dog stuff and those other two guys are more finesse guys where mcgee is more of a banger and so i think that's that's been the difference uh, or not the difference but it's been a difference that has allowed them to be better i mean that's just my observation so take it for what it's worth
1: so there's something going on in the league right now though from a big picture standpoint that big suit dunk have become more important than ever before um so the new rule changes and the trends of the league a little bit are the following so guys are getting a free throw line less you've heard about all that free throws are down so so you know Bradley Beal is taking eight free throws a game, suddenly taking four guys who were taking six Are taking three Trey Young's taking, you know, five. And so their efficiency is way down because of that. Then part two of it is that rim shots are down. The amount of shots being taken at the rim are, are way down just because of the Brooke Lopez defense in Milwaukee, and what everyone's doing. And so the next, so what that has done is meant that rim shot, the free throw, the lack of free throws makes rim shots actually more important because they're so efficient. And then the lack of rim shots overall is making bigs who can actually get to the basket and dunk way more important. So if you look at teams that are surprising this year and playing better than everyone thought they would, they all have that guy. Jared Allen in Cleveland. Javel McGee is now that guy we're talking about in, in Phoenix. And it's really, you know, if you start looking at the Lakers, what they're badly missing, it's what the Clippers are missing. zubak's not doing as well as others. So those type of players are really, really important right now and are overvalued, have more value than anyone realized in the league. They're the money ball play right now in the league. Yeah.
0: He's David Locke. David, we want to hit you with a question of the day. All right. Best sports-oriented Christmas gift you've given or received?
1: Maybe that, like, vibrating football game that we had when we were kids. Or the Mattel Electronic very first ever, like, handheld video game. I'm going old school.
0: That is old school. When I was a kid, uh, my uh, my grandparents, and I don't know why, because it didn't it did not. And I guess it was because of us. It was one of those things where my grandparents got a gift that was really for us. But do you remember the hockey game and the players? You put the players on the metal peg and you had the handle and you moved them up. It was oh yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah. foosball, except you were off the end of oh. the behind the uh-huh. goal. Strong. Yeah, yeah. They, they got that, and I went. There's yeah, I went nuts on that thing. Yeah. I played that That's thing. And stuff. You know,
1: I loved electronic football, but I don't know why. I could never really figure it out to
0: play. It. But it sure was fun.
1: It was loud. It was
0: great. It was loud. Thank you David, we appreciate it. Merry Christmas. You guys. All right. Appreciate it. Here's David Locke, his weekly visit right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined right now by representative Steve Eliason, joining us to talk about The Road Home. The Holiday Radiothon is underway. You can make a donation right now by calling 801-819-7300 or you can go online at theroadhome.org. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So you have been a fixture at the Road Home for a long time. How did you bond with the Road Home? What did they What did they say or do? What did you see or hear that made you think I really need to uh, invest my time in this place?
3: A great question. I, I was actually uh, a Boy Scout, and our 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 Scoutmaster took us down to feed the homeless under four South, and we had to go into the shelter to get some water or something, and. You know, it was kind of like Buddha being let out of the temple. I'm like, wow, there's there's a lot of uh, you know people being helped here. And then in high school, I did a, a service project with uh, the Road Home, and then just found an opportunity to get involved with the uh, a committee and volunteer. And I, I I think I've been on the board for pushing involved one way or another for 20 years. So I've, I've had a front row seat to the great work they do helping people step out of homelessness and back into our community.
0: People hear the Road Home, and I think they think of the building, which is no longer standing, and they think of emergency overnight services. There's been a big trend towards supportive housing in that. What are the changes you've seen in the last 20 years? And the people who are donating, how are they going to be helping these changes?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So the the Road Home, uh, of course, has emergency shelter. Uh, Last night, there were nearly 900 people in emergency shelter, which was about 100 more than the night before. Um, but they help people step out of homelessness and back into the community in, in terms of housing vouchers, uh, permit supportive housing, uh, wraparound case services. And so last year, they helped uh, nearly 4,500 people. And a really interesting fact is that about um, 96% of the people that they help get into housing stay housed and don't come back to the shelter. And that's uh, a lot of people when they see maybe somebody on the street, that's kind of what they think of when they think of the homeless. And and that's a component of it. But a lot of times it's the family who just, you know, lost their apartment and can't afford a new one. uh, Don't have, you know, family nearby. The road home is a place that can help them uh, bridge that gap between the streets and a home they can call their own.
0: I'm curious, the long-term impact we're making on the homeless. And as a guy who's been involved in state government for a long time as a state representative, how do you measure that? How much do you hold the service providers accountable, and how much do you look at what's happening in a society, whether it's veterans, addiction issues, kids? I think this is wildly underestimated by the public, but the number of kids aging out of foster care every year, and there's surveys that say about half of them are going to end up homeless, those are also issues that have to be addressed, and just looking at the service provider, you're not getting the whole point, and you're not addressing the whole issue.
3: Yeah, it's a really good question. It's an issue legislatively that I've worked on for years and have a bill this coming session to continue to try to improve services for people in homelessness. So, so often, these individuals have had a, a, a difficult background in terms of uh, trauma, addiction, and mental health issues, and the Road Home uh, tries to successfully connect many of those individuals to those types of services that help get to some of the root causes behind homelessness. Um, the you know some people say, "Well, this is just you know uh, maybe their fault, and so we're not going to help them." But the reality is is that, as uh, I've sat down with many homeless people over the years, I'll, I'll give you one example. <clears throat> Myself and Governor Cox, Lieutenant Governor at the time, went out and just uh, visited with homeless people. We didn't tell them who we were. And we met a young man staying in the shelter who, was, he was a teenager, and his father had a mental illness and disappeared. Uh, no mother around. And it was a December night, you know, single-digit temperatures, and he he sought shelter and connection to resources. So it's it's effectively the safety net of society. We have a long ways to go in terms of improving mental health resources, uh, addressing domestic violence. There's a lot of things to do. It's one of the most complex issues I've ever uh, engaged in. Um, But it doesn't mean that we stop trying. And in the meantime, uh, Road Home gives people hope and uh, a hand up instead of just a handout to help them, um, you know, first seek housing and all those other resources to the extent they're willing to uh, address some of those other difficult issues they face.
0: And you can support The Road Home online right now with a donation at theroadhome.org, or you can call 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million, so whatever you give will be doubled, 801-819-7300. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Take care. DJ and PK.